This is the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, your host, the founder and executive director of Prison Care Incorporated, where we are committed to equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. about um, relationships but kind of like all-encompassing like the way that coming to prison can affect the way you develop relationships Uh, Mm. like both the way uh, we develop friendships because we're like so close that they have this weird dynamic to them um because there's no distance, there's no, like, separation all day, every day, like, uh, um, but then also, like, how, uh, how it affects our relationships with people we used to know, um, or people we've, like, met during the course of our sentence who aren't here, having, like, having relationships based solely off of, like, correspondence and phone calls, um, and then thirdly, like the way we view romantic relationships, whether that's like an existing one, and I don't have any like experience with any of this, so this is just conjecture really, uh, and like watching other people. But that, um, and then the way it's kind of like, uh, almost a responsibility for like maintaining our like romantic lives is put on the CEOs. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. In a way, so like women are like really objectified, uh, uh, like way more than like normal. Um, but how like infectious that is, because uh, no, like no matter what you do, you can't like escape that kind of um, language. So it, like it does like really affect your thoughts, and it's kind of is how it is. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a lot, but, like... It is kind of a lot. general is, is a, I think, a good topic. I think it's a great topic, and I think mm-hmm. it will be pretty easy for me to edit it into either two or three separate episodes. Yep. Um, so that's fantastic. If you're good with that, I would love to talk about that. Hello, friends. So there you go. That's what you are in for today on the Prison Care Podcast, a wonderfully rich interview with Dylan about relationships, about the process of um, watching your relationships change or sometimes end very dramatically and abruptly when you are incarcerated. When you go to prison, it changes a lot of things. And Dylan's going to give us some insight into what that is like And then we are going to do a follow-up episode that's going to talk about how new relationships are formed, because that is very interesting within a prison neighborhood. The way that we form friendships on the outside, 
some of that works. Some of that works very differently inside a prison. And finally, in a third episode, we're going to look at romantic relationships and how very, very complicated it is for people when they are incarcerated, um, regardless of whether they are in a committed long-term relationship at the time of their arrest or not. Really, really fascinating, um, educational, giving us a whole lot of context for and compassion for everyone inside a prison neighborhood. And what you're going to hear in these episodes is true to the prison care vision. Um, and our mission is, is to share information that raises awareness and educates people in a way that keeps them open and compassionate to all of the people inside a prison neighborhood, no matter which uniform they're wearing. So Dylan is going to be sharing from the perspective of an incarcerated individual. But the things that he's going to be talking about also give us insight into the challenges facing prison staff, correctional officers in particular. So you don't want to miss any of this. It's such good stuff. We were so happy to have a chance to talk with Dylan at length. It's been some time since we've had him on the podcast. And um, yeah, so here we go. Let's learn about relationships inside the fence. All right. Well, today I get to be with not only one, but two fabulous people because uh, Prison Care's Community Director Kim is here with me. Yay. Yay. (laughs) And we are on the phone with our friend Dylan, who is uh, incarcerated and is on the board of Prison Care Incorporated. He serves as our inside community director. Hey, Dylan. And um, hey, guys. We are, we haven't gotten to do an interview with him in ages. So that's why I'm doing a little bit of, uh, of meet Dylan. <laughs> there's a whole episode called that if you want to go back into the beginning of season one. So yeah, we, there's been a lot of crazy going on for quite some time and it's been too hard to get everybody's schedules to where we have the right phone in the right place with the right garage band program running and, and do an interview. But Dylan, we are so happy to be talking with you again today. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. So we appreciate our relationship with you. And that's what we're going to talk about, relationships. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to relationships for people who are serving prison sentences that those of us outside the fence have probably never considered. And um, you have have kindly offered to give us a glimpse into some of the realities. Um, I guess we all start off by thinking about the loss of relationships. Somebody goes to prison and they've probably burned some bridges. They probably got people that they're not going to be close to anymore. And even the people that they are still emotionally close to, they are now physically separated from them. So can we just start with the obvious? Um, you know, what, what's that initial loss of relationships like? From like my perspective, uh, it's really like abrupt, um, like more than anything. It's like you're just kind of severed um, from everything. Uh, so I mean, most people's like transition from like their arrest to prison. Um, I mean, like the average person, you're not. Even though you might bond out, like once you get sentenced, you're going to go to jail for a little while. And you're going to go to prison. Very few people are like self-reporting to prison. So they don't have that, like, kind of transitional stage where you can, like, get your stuff in order and, you know, like, 
you know, settle up with people and, and things like that. Like, it's like you get arrested and then it's like on the phone from then on out, uh, you know, unless, you know, they come visit you or it's, it feels really like, like you're displaced. Um, you're like marooned in a way. Because mm. uh, we lead these lives of like such like connectedness. Um, we're always in contact with each other and like we're always sharing um, our thoughts and our feeling. I mean, like sending hundreds of texts a day. Yeah. I mean, uh, and then especially with social media and stuff, we're so connected to each other's lives. And like in an instant, that's just gone. Mm. Um, it was almost easier for me because I, I had like less connections just because of the kind of like emotional state I've been in for the whole, like, year before I got arrested. Um, so I, like, naturally isolated on my own. So I guess, in a way, it should have been easier for me. It didn't feel easier. Mm. Um, but I can understand from other, like, other inmates' perspective how, like, how much worse it could be. Um, you know, because I was so young, I didn't, like, all my friendships were, like, high school friendships, you know, like, uh, and I'm not super close to my parents, and and so it, like, from that like perspective, it, it, it's easier. Uh, but for your average inmate, it's like it's got to be incredibly distressing. Um, you're just with people all the time, or, or connect with people all the time, and then you're alone in a place with a bunch of like people you've never met. Um, whether you've been doing it for a long like whether you're in and out of the system a whole bunch of times or, or not, like, it has to be, it was awful for me, so it, it has to be, like, even worse for other people. I think displaced is such a powerful word um, because we all do, like, draw some of our identity from the people that we're spending our time with, and that's for good or for ill, but mm. we definitely do see ourselves within the context of the people that we're closely connected to. And you mentioned text messages, and I know that that, is something that I've heard from Jay and from various ones of my pen pals, that the loss of the ability to text is brutal. And there are a number of states that um, even up through their, their level four maxes, um, they allow texting through JPEG, essentially through tablets. Wow. And it has been, um, it's been a significant morale booster mm. because it's allowed for that in the moment. And of course, they charge a whole lot of money for it, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I've, I've kind of wondered and hoped, are they going to find that that presents enough of a security risk that they're not going to continue it? Because I, I really hope that that becomes widespread. That brief little moments of contact is what we've come to expect the way the world is now. And to lose that is, is yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of people who like, don't write or don't write frequently because it's they're just like unused to it you know um and they would most likely like be more in contact it's even if we could send like the kind of like more along the email lines like of a jpeg mm-hmm. if we could do that back and forth mm-hmm. but it's like there were like more instantaneous you know texting available that would be like you'd have i mean everyone would be just way more connected um and they would like feel like a part of their their family and friends lives 
uh, where you, it's, it's hard to in here. Um, Displaced and marooned. It's a pretty good way to describe the abrupt cutoff in relationships that someone experiences at the time of their arrest and incarceration. And um, that, that truth that most people don't get the chance to get their affairs in order before they go into the system, that it typically comes um, very suddenly and there may be significant pieces of a loose end tying up that now fall to other people. Um, people who may or may not want to deal with it. I get to talk to lots of other moms of people who are incarcerated. And so many of them have had to go in and take care of their um, now incarcerated kids living space, um, clear stuff out of an apartment or um, make arrangements to put a house on the market for sale um, before it goes into foreclosure, that kind of stuff. And I had never really thought about those things before that. That was not an issue for me because, um, because Jay had disappeared and been crashing at other people's places or living out of his car for a long time before his arrest. Um, we did have the issue of the car, but it was impounded for a long time as, as a part of the investigation. But there are lots of people who uh, have to tie up all those loose ends for their loved one who has just been arrested. And so often they're so angry. They're so angry at their loved one for whatever they did that got them arrested and that got them sentenced. Um, and yet they have to decide how to be involved in tying up those loose ends, whether to be involved. Um, and it's, it's a really conflicted time emotionally. It is exhausting and stressful and not something that I know I had ever thought about before I started getting to know these other moms who have had to deal with similar things. Of course, you often have spouses and you have um, children who are impacted by that suddenness of the relationship being severed. And in addition to um, a spouse now being a single parent and having to figure out how to navigate um, paying all the bills and arranging for childcare so that work can continue with only one parent in the home, then you also have the, the decisions to make at every turn. What do you tell your kids? How much detail do you give them? How, what are they old enough to handle? What, are they going to maybe hear from other people that they need to hear and understand from you first? Do you allow them to talk to their parent who is incarcerated? Do you allow them to talk to them right away? Um, in particular, if there has been uh, substance abuse, addiction, mental illness involved, how do you determine when that incarcerated parent is now stable enough to have an appropriate conversation on the phone or an appropriate visit in person. So many decisions have to be made in order to maintain relationships with people on the outside um, or for the people on the outside to maintain relationships with their incarcerated loved ones. There was a lot there for, for Jay and me, even with the um, estrangement that we had experienced in the time leading up to his arrest. And it was several months before I 
began to think about the possibility of a visit because our relationship was just too toxic at that point, too frightening and um, complex. Yeah, all of this stuff is so complex. And when we see it on TV, it doesn't look that complex. Uh, so somebody goes off in the police car and, you know, we see them in the scene at the trial or whatever, and they're sentenced and, and they, they go off and nobody puts a camera in the car with the mom or the wife or the husband who's now driving home from the courthouse and trying to figure out, what do I do next? Um, there are a lot of people very directly impacted at the time of someone's arrest and at the time of someone's sentencing. And while the victim of the crime is absolutely the most important damaged person who needs um, compassion and support and help, I think we understand that intuitively. I think that we automatically assume that victims of crime should be supported and have been injured and need, um, need intervention from, from other people, from caring people. But I'm not sure that we think very much about the family of the person who was sentenced for that crime. And how are they going to deal? And what kind of support do they perhaps need? It's, it's very difficult. I have been incredibly blessed because I was the mother of an adult child in this scenario. I was not the, the partner. I was not the spouse of the person um, who was sentenced to a long prison sentence. And for the spouses, especially spouses who have minor children uh, with that incarcerated individual, boy, it's difficult. So then you want to talk about trying to maintain a relationship when you have expensive, limited phone calls, when you can write letters, but let's be real, uh, letter writing takes some time. And it is also a semi-lost art in our society. It used to be everyone wrote letters. You know, 150, 200 years ago, letter writing was a thing that if you were literate, if you knew how to read and write, you wrote letters to people. That was how you stayed in contact with anyone who was not right there in your immediate vicinity. But we don't write a lot of letters anymore. And that's why we have so many pieces of curriculum that sort of teach you how to write a letter to an incarcerated person if you want to become a pen pal encourager. Because we have been learning that people actually feel the need for a lot of coaching on how to do that. So letter writing takes time. And it, it takes some practice to get comfortable and good at it. And so letter writing doesn't seem to work well for some people once they're incarcerated, when they're trying to stay connected to people on the outside. Visits are the best. Visits are profound. They're so meaningful. They are so emotionally charged. Um, they're also really difficult to arrange to make possible with work schedules, with travel, with where prisons are geographically placed. They are typically not close by. And so you're talking about travel time. And um, it's, it's not a super simple thing to up and visit your person in prison. However, 
statistics indicate that it is hugely important in terms of rehabilitation. So there was a study done in 2008 in the state of Florida in their state prison system. And they, um, they tracked over 700 inmates in um, various levels of custody and tracked how many visits they received over the course of their sentence and then how that um, impacted their likelihood to be reconvicted of another felony within two years of their release. And they found that for every visit, not every visitor, but for each individual visit, the likelihood of that person being um, reconvicted of a felony within two years of their release dropped by 3.8% for every single visit. And for people who received what they defined as regular visits, which was several times a year, people who received regular visits were 13% less likely to be reconvicted of a felony after their release, and they were 25% less likely to be picked up on a parole violation on a technicality. So people coming for in-person visits, it has a dramatic impact in a positive way on whether people are going to make it, on whether they're going to be able to um, to become returning citizens who succeed and who can avoid that revolving door of um, ending up back in prison. On average, across the U.S., on average, an inmate receives two visits over the course of their incarceration. Now, that's a, a massive sample pool, right? There's over 2 million people incarcerated in the U.S. And some of them have life without parole sentences, and some of them are serving 18 months for a drug charge. You know, there's this, there's this huge, but if you put all of it together and average it out, two visits per inmate. The people who get the fewest visits on average are the older residents. Think that, think about that for a minute. It makes sense if you're aging, if you've been down for a long time, if you're going to be down for the rest of your life and you're aging. First of all, uh, some of your people die off before you do. Um, that's tragic when you actually stop to think that through, because that means loved ones who have been your connection to the outside world and who have been your connection to love and to um, family, they die and you aren't even able to go to their funeral or to grieve with other people who love them. You have to do all of that on your own in isolation. And you recognize that your connectedness to the outside world is dwindling with every person who passes away before you. And then you think about the fact that older people typically need more support and help and connection as they age, right? Our, our elderly family members do not become more self-sufficient. They become less. In particular, those who experience any kind of dementia, um, boy, they need people who care about them to talk with them, to sit with them, to remind them of who they are as that's slipping away cognitively, to remind them that they are safe and that they are loved. But there are thousands and thousands of people 
in the U.S. prison system who are elderly and who are dealing with dementia and with the other challenges that come uh, with aging for some people. And to have less and less relationship outside the prison is cruel, in my opinion, cruel. Um, that's one of the things that it would be really great if we could take a long, hard look at is whether it makes sense to continue to imprison uh, someone who is experiencing dementia and is living in their elder years. Are they really a threat to society? And is there any chance for um, <laughs> continued rehabilitation to take place there? No. So we're leaving them there because we said they have to stay there. And so that's that. And that's what punishment looks like. Or does that cross into cruel punishment? Um, it's probably another topic for another whole episode. But relationship with people on the outside is so very important and so very difficult to maintain. And in our episode next week, we're going to continue our conversation with Dylan, and we're going to talk about forming new relationships inside. That um, that sense of displacement that happens in regard to the outside um, relationships then opens the doorway to something new as you try to form healthy relationships inside. So that will be on next week's episode. I hope you will join us again for that. If you would like to learn more about all the work that Prison Care is doing, please visit prisoncare.org. You can find information there about donating to our work, about becoming involved, about hosting a house party, an awareness event for um, maybe eight or 10 friends um, for sharing the startup kit information for um, a prison care compassion team for becoming a pen pal encourager for learning ways to support the expansion of mental wellness resources in particular for correctional staff as well as for incarcerated individuals so much good stuff going on prisoncare.org and if you have ideas for episodes or for resources that you think would be helpful, or if you would just like to share your story, please feel free to email sabrina at prisoncare.org. We do a wise thing when we learn from each other. I appreciate you listening in today, and I thank you so much for caring. Mm-hmm.